Gang, we all know that a premium Spotify subscription gives you access to millions of songs and thousands of podcasts, but did you know that a premium Spotify subscription also gets you access to tons of audiobooks for free? It does, gang. Listen to great books like Storyteller, the Dave Grohl memoir, or Life by Keith Richards, or The Woman and Me by Britney Spears. Listen, there's all kinds of books on there. There's fiction, nonfiction, self-help, anything you're looking for, man, they got it, and you can listen to it for free. Just go to Spotify.com or download Spotify from your app store and start listening today. That's Spotify. Millions of songs, thousands of podcasts, and now audiobooks. Available with your premium subscription. Spotify.com. Let's get down. What are they saying on How Did I Get Here? When I met Seal, he was in, he was in the cracks. He, was, he just came off the heels of having that hit with Adamski. We just stood off to the side and watched the puppets, okay. you know, mime to our, our playing, right, okay. and sing. I'm a fucking crazy bitch. I drink like a poor person. Uh, it, it was anarchy. She goes, I very much enjoyed your program, but tell me, can you play that song, Redneck Mother? <laughs> And I kind of, like, I always, like, flourish in awkward situations. So I've somewhat enjoyed all of this. Yeah. And if everybody wants to get on the whole Bible thing, it's like, hey, go read it. It was never a big deal here to be a girl. He he was a special, special being, for sure. Because I'm the first female Hispanic to make it on the country billboard charts. Really? It's just kind of trying to not be afraid to be out there anymore. Then they'd move all the furniture and fire up the hi-fi with Ray Price and drink and party and dance in the living room all night on the weekends. Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, where is this going? Whatever, just keep going, you'll find out later. I was banned from going to shows when I was like young, younger because my parents hate rock and roll. And then I had, you know, really intense anxiety, just general anxiety. It's so intelligent. It's like the best music history and just music lesson you'll ever get in your life that's how did i get here with me johnny gowdy available wherever it is you stream or download your podcast let's get down you gotta open the vault open my vault open your vault once i open the vault it ceases to be a vault you have no choice vault Hello, I'm Johnny. I'm your host. Welcome to another episode of How Did I Get Here from the Vault, where we reach back into our vault of well over a thousand episodes, pull one out, shine it up, and re-release it for you just in case you missed it or in case you want to hear it again. Gang, today, great show. We go back to episode uh, 1071 from July of 2021 with legendary singer-songwriter and one of the original Cosmic Cowboys, Gary P. Nunn. That's right, man. We sit down with the great Gary P. Nunn, author of the song London Homesick Blues. You know that song. comes on at the end of, uh, of uh, Austin City Limits. I want to go home with the armadillo. You know what I'm saying. So uh, he was getting back up and he was out there playing after the pandemic went down and after he had to, uh, he had to put a halt to his 2029 retirement tour. We have a really great conversation about his, his legendary journey as a singer-songwriter writing that song, London Homesick Blues, out in London, thinking about being in Austin, being part of the Los Gonzo Band and backing up greats like Jerry Jeff Walker, Michael Martin Murphy, and 
Of course, the king himself, Willie Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, knowing who he, who he was since he was a kid. And, uh, and, and, and he's been running a cattle ranch in Oklahoma for decades, like for years and years and years. So uh, we have a really great conversation about his life, his journey in life, his music, his life as a songwriter. A lot of great laughs, too. He's such a great guy, man. Gary P. Nunn, songwriting legend and one of the original Cosmic Cowboys. Enjoy it from episode 1071, released in July of 2021. This is me and legendary songwriter Gary P. Nunn. Let's get down. How did I get here from the vault? Well, when you're down on your luck and you ain't got a buck in London, you're a goner. Even London Bridge has fallen down and moved to Arizona. Now I know why. And I'll substantiate the rumor that the English sense of humor is drier than the. First of all, man, how are you doing? after this last year because somebody who's made their living just traveling around playing music for 50 years yeah or 60 or, or 60 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i started when i was uh, barely 14 Phil. yeah in eighth grade yeah so uh, that's when i started there's a picture of it right behind you you know where that is that's a uh you know scott and brenda mitchell Oh yeah, yeah. That's at their. That's in their living room. <laughs> in fact, uh, that picture where I'm holding the guitar and I'm a little kid. Yeah. That's in their living room in the woodlands. Back when they used to own the Wunchy Brothers. Yeah, sure. I played yeah, that's, there a lot. That's where I first saw you yeah. when I was like 14. Right. That's where we met uh, Brenda. She was managing it. Yeah. Before she they owned Scott it. Got yeah. Married. Yeah. 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 Scott owned it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good times, man. That was a great place. That was. That yeah. was. It was a good room. And, uh, you know, Shake Russell used to play there all the yeah. time. So. That my first gig ever at a place. But my first gig ever was playing in their living room. And then my second gig, which was my first gig at an actual place, was opening for Shake Russell when I was like 15 or something. Oh, yeah. Playing with someone. Yeah. Yeah. So they, the Mitchells are responsible for my, uh, my thing. But what a, what a great education I had there getting to watch. I saw uh, you, I saw Towns Van Zandt, I saw Shake there, I saw Dana there, I saw... Uh, was Johnny Vandiver with Shake in those days? Uh, he, you remember when... Uh, uh, we used to see them when I was a kid. Uh-huh. We used to see Shake and, and, and John. Yeah. Uh, John was great. We lost him yeah. early on. Yeah, terrible, terrible loss. Yeah. Awful... Uh, murder. Yeah, murder. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so that's that's kind of like that's where I saw you. But but you uh, yesterday I was listening to uh, while I was making dinner. I just listened to Viva Terlingua all the way through, uh-huh. just like from beginning to end. And I, I know every song from that record from when I was a kid. Like that was played like everywhere I was around. And then I realized that that's really like the stamp. Like, that's the first landmark that put you guys on the map. Right. It was. Yeah. It was. It, it just kind of caught on, uh, and we started getting a lot of attention after that, you know. Chip yeah. Lippo, you know, uh, who was a stringer for Rolling Stone, 
here in town. He was covering us for Rolling Stone. So, oh. so you know, we were getting national uh, attention exposure yeah there and it made all the difference in the world help us uh, you know get our name out there nationwide yeah was it weird because you you sing uh london homesick blues on there like that's you singing but it's a jerry jeff walker record right. and if you look at it now even on spotify it's credited to him which i mean that that's that's what goes on was that like was that weird did you have to for a while go like no 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 that's me Oh, uh, well, I just kind of, no, I never did, uh, uh, because, uh, of course, the focus was on Jerry Jeff, and it was uh, a blessing and a curse in a way, uh, totally a blessing, because, you know, I got the song out there, and probably in a uh, format on his record to right. to get the maximum exposure out of it. Right. But it was a little strange for both of us, really, I think, you know, Jerry Jeff, he would... Then he had to go around and go like, no, 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 that's not, that, that one's not me. <laughs> I think that was, a, I don't know, a little, little thing that I don't, sometimes he wished he hadn't done. <laughs> I don't know, but when we do shows, he'd have me do, do it second and get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a thrill to me. We always got great response, and so I was grateful to have that opportunity, and it, it worked out well for me. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. It put you on the map, and it and it, it allowed you to sort of go on and create Gary P. Nunn. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? I had to at one point. I didn't have another gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody around. Because will somebody give me a gig, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about this. The last year, so after like 50 or 60 years of, of, of being out there and slugging it out, uh, not doing it must have been weird. Because you were also like, weren't you in the middle of a retirement tour? Yeah, sort of. Until <laughs> <laughs> the COVID thing happened. I, was, uh, I don't like retirement that much. But, right, it was kind of freaky, wasn't it? But uh, on the other hand, I, I, I made good use of the time and tried to... Uh, I, uh, you know, I have this publishing company and uh, my record companies and everything. And, right. And there was like, some loose ends, paperwork things and BMIs, registration, da da Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and all that. So I had the opportunity to get my total catalog, including all the ones I published and, and wrote, and get all the numbers, the digital codes and everything. So that. Do you have you to know, do that yourself? Like Gary P. Nunn is sitting at his Mac, like. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it took me about two weeks to, to do that one project. You know, just researching all these songs. A lot of times, on songs I'd recorded by other artists, uh, writers, uh, they haven't even taken care of their business. So I, right, I right. had to alert them. Said, "Do you realize this song is not registered at VMI?" Oh no, you know, and and so they yeah. they would. There was three or four of them that I that hadn't taken care of their business. So I had to track them down and get in touch with them. But it was an interesting process and it, it kind of educated me about uh, the way the the industry works nowadays. It's all digital, which really is a good a good thing for, for all of us. As far as the accounting and keeping track Absolutely, of everything. Yeah, but, the pay, but the pay cut is, I mean. Well, uh, you know, uh, not really. Uh, uh, of course, the streaming, you know, the, their rates are, are very, very low. Yeah. But at least everything gets credited. Now. Yeah, that's and true. So it goes right into the system and da da da, and all those people, they monitor it and they send you the check at the end of the month. You know? So it keeps track of every every performance. 
which in the days you remember the days gone by uh early days they just did it by uh random sampling you know they'd have a guy right. out in the market exactly said, well, yeah. elton john got 500 <laughs> yeah. cuts yeah, and yeah. gary p got one so yeah yeah elton john got one and i got none you know right <laughs> um yeah you know what somebody was reminding me of this the other because i'm 52 and i've been playing since i was a kid but they were like do you remember doing like sound scan remember how you had to turn in sound scan like on Thursday or something. Do you remember that? No, I never did. When you were on the road and tell them how many albums you sold on the road and it had to be like. No, no, I never did that. Uh, I, I reported it. Right, right, know, right. But, uh, you know, SoundScan, it doesn't, doesn't uh, ring a bell. Doesn't even, it doesn't even exist anymore, does it? I've I mean, never is heard it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, with this publishing stuff and owning all your, how long did you, have you owned your publishing the whole time? Well, it was, uh, yeah, since uh, 72, uh, Michael Murphy and I wrote a song together, and he put it on uh, his record, and I said, well, how about, uh, you know, the publishing portion of it, you know, and he said, well, you don't have a publishing company, you know, so I said, I'll get a publishing company, so, right. so I started right then and there, and so. And you never sold it, so, no, you, so no, you're no, like I mean, one of the smartest I've been building on it ever since. You know, yeah. Plus, I've, you know, I've copyrighted a, a lot, a lot of uh, outside tunes, you know, from artists, and I'd cut their stuff and publish it and get them started. And, you know, a lot of them are, are millionaire stuff. You know, yeah. They've made good, but, it, you know, I gave my hand up, and it uh, focuses attention on them, and it was a credit for them and allowed them to go ahead and pursue their own careers. So, yeah. Uh, that's it, true but also for all of us also having owning the the publishing on a on a song that's on an album like redheaded stranger or something that's a pretty sweet yeah. payday you yeah. know yeah that that did very well for us that was you know of course willie had uh, did, blue eyes crying in the rain and yeah and that's what blasted him off into the stratosphere yeah and so that 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 song went along with that record yeah you uh And so did somebody tell you, like, there was somebody like, hey, you should hang on to your publishing? No, I, I no? just... Uh, you just did it. I, I just uh, I just, I just did it because, you know, that's what Murphy did. And, right. And I learned, I learned a lot from him. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, I'm, I'm fascinated, and that's my passion. You know, my number one passion is finding the songs, get them unrecorded. Yeah. And so I'm always looking for songs, and I'm a great collector. I have a wonderful collection of tunes, and I save everything and digitalize it and listen it, to it. And Is that what that Lost and Found 79 thing is? Sorry? The Lost and Found 79, the last album that you put out yeah, last year? Yeah, that was, you know, uh, back when the, the Lost Gonzo band was sort of, uh, well, you know, coming apart it right. seems and uh so uh michael brofsky our producer uh -huh. he said, he said uh, let's go in the studio and just make a gary p nunn record so we went in and cut a bunch of tracks and those tracks were the surviving they're they're incomplete but they're live performances really and you know there's a lot of imperfections you'll hear me say oh here comes a bridge or, yeah 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 and uh but they were just board tapes and uh Shit, they're really I, good. I, I found that. Gosh, that just sounds pretty good. Yeah. You know, with all its imperfections. That's making the hair on my arm stand up. That's just a board tape? Yeah. 
Wow. That was a rough board mix that, that survived, you know, and I found it in my, my uh, when I was collecting, uh, there's uh, up at Texas Tech, they have a uh, Texas Music Archives uh-huh. thing, and so they said any tapes that you have, anything you have, you want to have digitalized and have it uh, logged into the, to the whatever, what do they call it, the library there. Right. Uh, you know, give us these tapes, and I was going through all these boxes of, of two, two inch, well, quarter inch tapes, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. seven and a half inches per second old tapes. Yeah, that we used to make the the uh, the board tapes, you know, copies. Uh, you know, at the end of everyday session or something like that, I always made sure that you know, okay, you know, do a board mix of this. Yeah, yeah. So that's what survived, and uh, gosh, I had uh, John Stahely, You know, go back. There's a name that. He was one of the, the, the best guitar players, good-looking young guy. Uh, John Stahely. Yeah. Roscoe Beck played bass on it. Reese Winans. On the piano? Played piano. Is that who's playing on Deep in the West? That version of that Shake Russell song on there? Yeah. That, Woo! Yeah. Man, that is... And those are just live. That's just a... Live I'm glad you released it, man. That's a really... Those are, that's a gorgeous record. <laughs> it, well, it it uh, you know I tell you what I was at a really uh, low spot in my time. Those songs reflected it because I always try to I try to pick the songs that uh, are kind of um, exemplary of how I'm feeling at the time. You know where my life is. You know as an artist. You know and that, that was a low time. You know my wife had left me and the Gonzo band had broken up and the Jerry Jeff thing was in the past and and so. Uh, you know, it was I was at a very blue in low time, and those and those uh, songs reflected that. How, how old were you then that time? How old was I then? Yeah, that was seventy nine. So uh, it was forty five from seventy nine. <laughs> <laughs> you were forty five. I was thirty two years old. Thirty two. Yeah. Wow. Um, did you feel like uh, were you were you going to go back to pharmacy school? <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I never really did. Uh, did you ever, like, what I'm saying is, like, at that point, were you like, I, I got to keep on going, even though this is my my music right. family is falling apart, my home family is falling apart, yeah. now I'm just here. Yeah, and I didn't have a gig, so I said, you better get busy, you know. And so I started learning some songs and, and setting in some of the acoustic uh rooms in town and doing singer-songwriter thing and learn a lot of Neil Young songs and right. stuff like that, that that I was doing. And, and little by little, I was writing a few songs and, and songs coming my way. And people walk in my door and say, yeah, I wrote this song. We sit down and record them. And right. later on, I record them. You know, so, you know, that Nobody But Me record that I did in 1980, which... Right. Uh, it's like your first official... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A raw and unpretentious work, as is, is, <laughs> is, is a critic called it. <laughs> that's good, man. It's There's like a four-piece band. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like, that's... that's. I mean, to me, that's also, like, how you started, because... Uh, Raw is that is that Viva Terlingua record too? Like there's yes. there's there's like, well, there's a realness to it, you know. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's uh, very because real. It is is re- it is real. Yeah, and, and I've always believed that the, the the things that were real in the beginning will be the lo- longest lasting material because in this world we live in, prefabricated this, that, and the other. It's very know, disposable. The, yeah, that uh, the real stuff. That oh well. 
that's not real, you know. The it might have been a huge hit record, but it's not real, you know. It's, it's right. Like it was contrived and and manufactured rather than just performed. Right. So, well, that's and, uh, sorry to interrupt, but that that's sort of the thing that I find in modern recording that uh, has been lost is that people are spending their time trying to carve out perfection as opposed to capturing magic, which is yes. like exactly what happened on that Lost and Found record. That just captured magic. Right. And the Viva Tirlingua. And the Viva Tirlingua as well. Yeah. And all the stuff we did with Jerry Jeff was, was more like, like that. You know, that was the attitude that we had Los Gonzo band. You know, we surrender to the song, give in to it. Yeah. Submit to the guy, you know, back, back him up and play it with feeling uh, as well. You know, and just, just be real. Yeah. And they, they turned out great. They did turn out great. There's, it's funny because in a time too, like the records, I mean, to me, that record is like, I mean, there's so much vibe on that album. Like, I mean, it's like, that's what people are trying to get on a record of theirs. Like, like that kind of feeling, you know what I mean? Right. Like, well, you know, it was in Luke and Bach dance hall. Yeah. The, the windows were open. You know, if you listen real close to like on that song Wheels that uh-huh. was later on in the record that Jerry Jeff did, you can actually hear crickets in the background that's awesome you know so it's just that open air and natural feeling too because that wood building you know that uh contributed a lot of uh ambiance i would say yeah to it and you guys so you guys went on to like you you ended up being like the band that backed jerry jeff and that backed michael martin murphy as well and you also were doing stuff as your own band as well Right. You were well, signed to these labels. Yeah, well, Michael Brofsky got us a record deal because, you know, we've been writing songs, not prolifically, but now and then, uh, you know, behind the guys who were professional writers, you know, and did it for a living. Right. Uh, and so we, we'd come up with a body of material, and we were opening a few shows for Jerry Jeff and things, and then Michael Brofsky, you know, said, hey, I can get you guys a record deal with MCA, and, and he did. It was, it was, a, it was a kind of a strange situation because Jerry Jeff was still the guy, you know. Right. And we we were all we were sort of the backup band. Right. And so we never really got our shot to, you know, be the guy. Right. So we kind of fell in the cracks there, and it eventually led to our demise in the long run because we couldn't get any traction. Were you guys touring and stuff then? We were. I mean, we did. Uh, we did tour there. Uh, like were you touring with other bands, like Nitty Gritty Dirt Band or something no, like that? Bands that no, sort no. of would have a... We were just picking up gigs here and there. And one time when we did that Capitol record, which was, you know, they just dropped, dropped the ball completely. They booked us a tour. Uh, we had two dates, uh, one in Eugene, Oregon, and, and one in Victoria, Vancouver, B.C., and we got there. There was no PR. The record company wasn't there. Oh, man. There was no records in the record store, you know. Like, and that was that was pretty much, you know, the writing was on the wall. Uh, that God, these guys are going to give us a hoot about us, you know. So. Right, right. Well, you can see, like, the, there's a thing, obviously, that those guys were all kind of trying to, like, whatever happened, like, when grunge happens and it becomes over-commercialized where they're like, Oh, let's try and sell that Gonzo thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. How can we package that Gonzo thing? Yeah. And some things like you got to kind of think outside the box. You can't just. You guys weren't like ABBA. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, we're just the same guys we always were, and we were coming out of, 
you know, we were influenced, uh, you know, by the early days of rock and roll, Beatles mm-hmm. especially. Uh, you know, you, you can you listen to the background vocals on the Jerry Jeff records. You know, you, you'll hear me and and Bob and John all over it doing these Beatles type of because that came natural to us. That was that was our and of course there was a feeling that came out of the '60s. You know. Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, how do we make the world better? Right, yeah, yeah. Type of attitude. Yeah. A real eclectic and artistic view of, 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 you know, how to write songs, you know, and kind of introduce, there was always a little bit of spiritualism. uh, Right. Interjected into it. And, of course, we were leaving that and getting into less party yeah, type of yeah, thing. Yeah, People yeah. Weren't, weren't caring about right, right. The, the spiritual aspect of it of, yeah. at all. So we kind of fell in the cracks there uh, as, as a group and with our recordings and the record companies and all that. So. Who, did, who all did you guys work with? Any like great big producers or anything like that for those records? Well, Michael Brofsky, you know, he was he our didn't? manager and our yeah. agent and our producer, and he's the one that got the record deals and... So uh, he was always the one that uh, worked with us and for us. Yeah, I was good friends with his son Scott. Was that? Is oh, he Scott. still? Yeah, yeah. We went to high school together. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, it's, you know, gosh, uh, he was uh, he was just like uh, twelve, thirteen years old. Yeah. During these days. Yeah. He and his little sister and. Yeah, I can't remember her name, Michelle. No. I can't, I can't call I remember I remember them but I ended up hanging out with him like throughout the 90s I'd see him places and stuff but is Michael still around? Is Michael still, lives in uh, let's see uh, Santa Barbara, California okay and uh, he's into all kinds of investments and some sort of music thing I can't quite get a handle on what it is but uh, you know, he was he was a very uh, smart businessman. But he had he had a lot to do with that, like that Christopher Cross thing and he did yeah he was the he executive producer of that, that thing yeah yeah I remember uh, I used to drop by his office uh, and just visit with him, and he said, hey, I want to play you something. And uh, he played me that cut, and it was the original um, four-piece band recordings of the Christopher Cross record. Yeah. I looked at him and said, congratulations, you finally got a monster hit on your hands. He said, yes, I do, don't I? <laughs> you know, and then they took it to California, and they got they got Michael. Oh, Marty and, yeah. Uh, and they yeah, got yeah. all the big names associated. Oh, Michael, Michael McDonald. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, uh, but from the original recordings, there wasn't anything essentially changed from those the, the first recordings. Right. You know, it was, it was the same songs. Right. Same great performances, of course. Yeah. Chris had a great voice and had great songs. Yeah. And a great band, too. That, Yo, that yeah. band was really yeah. killing it. Um, so, what you, in the Gonzo band, you guys, you guys all split up. Things just kind of like fall apart. You go do those demos and then you go and make a record. Now, did, were you guys. You recorded here, like that the first record that you made. I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on it. The nobody the, but me. Nobody record. but you. But actually, I went to uh, Santa Fe, Cerritos, New Mexico. Okay, Baird Banner and uh, Lisa Gilkison. They were a, they were a, a pair, you know. Uh, and uh, she worked with him. He had a studio. He was uh, Bob Banner's son, who was a big uh, producer. Uh, uh, like he produced the Perry Como show. He was a big Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, TV producer, yeah, 
And so, you know, he had money, and, and they went out there and built his Adobe studio, and I love the, the, the vibe out there. And so I, I went out. There. He made me a great deal, too. You know, he charged me hardly anything to record it and helped me make that record. That's awesome. So, so uh, Lisa, Eliza, Lisa oh, slash yeah, Eliza, Eliza was out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Eliza. When I met her, she was Lisa, too. I met her when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, that was, I guess, right before she moved here? Yeah, well, uh, her and you know, Christine Albert were still living out there, right? They were, and I encouraged them both. You know, I invited Lisa to come perform. I was a director at the Kerrville Folk Festival, and we get to invite one guest performer every year. And so uh, I invited her, and uh, that was that was her first trip to Texas, and she eventually moved here as a result of that. And so did Christine as well. Yeah, yeah, they're they're amazing artists in their own well, right they as well. Are. Yeah. Absolutely. Was that uh, there's a a record that's live? Uh, is it called Home with the Armadillo? You're right. Is live that, at, is live that, at Austin City. Okay, Limits. so that is that's from like your '84. Yeah, I think that was '83. '83. Yeah. So you went solo, and then like a couple years later, you were on Austin City Limits. <laughs> so you, I mean, you came out pretty good. Yeah. On I your did. own. <laughs> well, you know, I'd been on Austin City Limits since you know we did some of the right. very first shows there with we with Bobby Bridger and uh, and Jerry Jeff and right uh, probably Michael Murphy. You know, so we'd been on there. So you know, but I mean, as Gary, like the Gary, like that was Gary Pina. I watched that because she sang with you on that. Right. Because I, I remember she was a friend of my mom's at the time. It was like, oh, Lisa's singing with, with Gary P. Nunn. Right. I yeah. invited her to come and be on that show because she wrote that uh, Tennessee Rhodes song right, right. that I recorded. And uh, um, I was, uh, Rowan, uh, Peter Rowan invited him to come. You know, he just showed, I was inviting everybody came along. Like, come sit in with me on yeah. the show. Junior Brown, I had him come and sit in. And, uh, of course, I had the band from Red River, New Mexico, the all-American honky-tonk band that they were the only group around that knew my songs because I'd been up there. I did a month-long stint in Red River doing six nights a week at the Motherlode. Oh, wow. And so they knew all my material. They were the only band that I knew that I wouldn't have to just sit and rehearse and teach right, the right. songs. Uh, so uh, they they came down and, and played with me, did an excellent job. You know, we didn't have one retake or start over. Anything went straight through it. And there's several songs that didn't appear on that record. You know, I I cut uh, Jimmy Dale Gil, Gilmore's song, uh, I'm Going Out Well, the Lights Don't Shine So Bright. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I get home, you can treat me like Saturday night. Uh, yeah. You know, and there was, there was two or three tunes that, that didn't make the – I just had too many tunes to, to go on a 12-song 12 sure. record. but. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that did good. Well, that was a result. I, ha- I had this fellow producer. He really got behind me, um, and uh, he he actually called uh, Bill Arholz, the the producer of Austin City Limits, the creator of it, the original one. Mm-hmm. And you know, and said, "You need to get Gary P. Nunn on there." And he he lobbied for me and and uh, got me on that show, and and he produced the record that from the live uh, uh, performance that we did. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I've, I always thought you were like, I just thought you were great, but I also thought you were like real cool looking. So like, I always like remembered, like, I think I saw you on Austin City Limits and then saw you at the, uh, at the Wanji Brothers and was just like, oh, it's that guy. Like, you know, you have a very distinct, like you have a look, like a, like a, like almost like, like Billy Gibbons. 
you know, like you have a thing where you like, you know, it's you from like, if I saw you from way across a football field where you can't really make out who it is, I'd be like, oh, that's <laughs> Gary P. Nunn standing over there. You know what I mean? Well, uh, I'm I think glad, that's super uh, cool, man. Well, I think, you know, I, the glasses, you know, the, yeah, they're kind of always been a, a trademark. I, I had the LASIK at one point, and for the longest time, people would say, you're not Gary Peanut without the glasses. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. No, no, yeah. I put the glasses back on, and I, I feel at home comfortable again. Can you imagine if Billy Gibbons showed up somewhere with just a mustache or something? Be people, <laughs> they'd be so sad. Um, so I, I was reading that you inherited an 800-acre cattle ranch. Is that right? Well, we, we inherited ended up with one? Each, each, each one of us... Uh, Kids, there was four kids, and our folks uh, bought this place and gave us 80 acres apiece. Oh, 80 acres, okay. And so I, I had an opportunity. My uncle had a 400-acre spot that joined that, and it was like river bottom land. It, it went down to the South Canadian River. And gosh, I didn't even have a job at the time, he, and he offered it, it, it to me. And uh, I said, I want to buy it. So... So I bought 400, and then I bought another uh, 80. And the 800 was my brothers and sisters and what I had. Okay. I had. But we did. We lived up there for 17 years and raised our son up there and uh, raised cattle and horses. And just Is your son there. into music? No. 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 Well, uh, uh, that boy isn't. No. Uh, he, he's, he, he's more into being an entrepreneur. If you oh, know, cool. You know, construction yeah, yeah. How many kids do you have? I have two boys. Two boys, mm-hmm. but the other one's a musician. Yes, okay. he's uh, he's Karen Brooks's son. You know, Karen Brooks. Uh-huh. She, she was a talented young girl. And we, we we got married there, and uh, Lucan was born in 1976. But eventually, I don't know. I got this song called Carolee. Carolee. She went chasing her fantasy. She preferred uh-huh. it to me and having a family. Yeah. Uh, she she was uh, more ambitious than I was, you know. So she she took off and went to Nashville and ended up getting herself a record deal with uh, RCA and and running around Roseanne Cash. That's how we got that cut. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Roseanne Cash because she was running around with the uh, the girls up there in Nashville, songwriters. And so uh, that that's how that all came about. So you never you never wanted to do that thing. That go to Nashville and get in an office every day. And, no, <laughs> and right with somebody that comes over. No, I just you know Texas is my home. Yeah. Once I got here, I moved from Oklahoma as a child. And yeah. Fell in love with the state and the spirit and the history and the culture. Well, I mean, there's no doubt when you hear your music that you know what I mean. Like, it's definitely like it's there. Yeah. Your love of Texas is definitely there. I do, and it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a lot to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, classic American values, you know, at its core. Yeah. Uh, that, that cowboy chivalrous spirit and, and uh, you know, friendliness and, and helpfulness and, and also creativity and the love of music and dance and life in general. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you did, when you were back in the time that you guys were playing like, um, uh, when you guys were playing the Armadillo and stuff in the 70s, were you playing the Broken Spoke as well? Or was there some no, kind of like, no. you guys were a little too weird for Broken Spoke? Yeah, we were near country, you know. <laughs> the Broken Spoke was the place that, you know, let, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, 
We were in the hippie culture, so right. to speak. You know, you guys and that didn't... was cowboy and country and matching outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but then we always had other gigs as well, and we, we didn't play two step and dance music. Uh, so, no, the Broken Spoke wasn't a part of our uh, the, the Saxon Pub. No, pardon me. Uh, yeah, Castle Creek. Okay, Castle Creek. It was uh, at Fifteenth and Lavaca. Okay. It used to be the old. Uh, uh, what's that folk club? The, the checkered flag. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, it was a folk listening club before right. that. And then some people got a hold of it. And Tim O'Connor came to town and got a hold of it. And he brought all his influence, you know, and he was bringing in all great songwriters, Steve Goodman and uh, John Hartford. And, yes, he brought in uh, St- uh, young, uh, what's his name? Uh, Stevie Miller and Bonnie Bray and... Leo yeah. Hotkey, and he was bringing people like that to town. So we, we were working that room. That was a step up from the Saxon Pub. And then it wasn't long before Eddie Wilson was calling, saying, you know, y'all come on over to the Armadillo World Headquarters because it's much, much bigger venue. Yeah. Do you guys know, I mean, do, are you aware of, like, I know that there's bands like uh, all the bands, uh, the young guys that were on the Friends for Life album, uh Cody Canada, right? Uh, Jacking guys like this, you obviously influenced, and you and you, but but there's like a tradition that still goes on of like Cosmic Cowboy. It's gotten a little weirder, <laughs> but it's still in the same tradition. There's a band in town here called Stone Wheels, and I work with the Austin Music Foundation, and we uh, we have this program where we pick out six artists and make a record with them over the year and like oh, uh-huh. you know talk to them and kind of like help them kind of get right. their business stuff together but this right. band stone wheels really stood out to us because we felt like uh there's a tradition in austin there's singer songwriters there's folk people there's americana people but there's like this little sliver of like cosmic country right that's like yes something like merle haggard and could even be as weird as Pink Floyd if it needs to be. Uh-huh. You know what? It's somewhere yeah. in there. They're great songs, but just kind of like, yeah, almost I guess like the Dead could was trying to get into that. They were very much more cosmic than Cowboy, but you right. know what I mean. But that tradition still lives on. Right. Well, thank goodness it does because it's a it's a solid tradition, you know, and it, it represents where we came from. And it, it it always pays tribute to the culture you know that that we live in here, you know, right. the Texas culture. And yeah. it's, it's a tradition of uh, music and dance, as I mentioned earlier. Is always something that that kind of country rock beat is is a lot of tunes that that you can two step to. That's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. You put a steel guitar and a fiddle in there, it's country music. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm happy to say these young guys have carried on beautifully. Uh, you know, just gosh, they're getting up in their fifties now. Yeah, too, I know. know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I call them young guys. Uh, they've done really well in the songwriting, Texas songwriting tradition, and come up with some great work. And of course, you know, they were unlike us who weren't really focused on the business originally. <laughs> you know, they took care of business. They got them a manager and an agent and a publicist and a record company, and from right off the bat, you yeah. Know, and uh, got in the buses and hit the road and 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 did all that. So they they've taken it uh, to a whole whole another level, as we say here in Texas. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they have. I don't. I don't. 
I don't know their song. I guess just because I wasn't raised with it, but I don't know their songs as well as your songs, Ray's songs, Jerry Jeff's songs. You know what I mean? Right, but, but there's uh, thousands and thousands of people yeah. who, you know, they were going to college in the, like, say, the 80s. Yeah. You know, and they got hit to Robert O'King, yeah. King Room, and those guys, and it became a college thing. And right. all the colleges in Texas became just fascinated with what they were doing and jumped on the bandwagon yeah. and, and sent them off, you know, into the stratosphere. Yeah. Do you still play those college towns like Brian and... Yeah, when I get a chance, when yeah. I get a chance, uh, they're uh, used to play them quite regularly. But uh, it's been quite a while. We're getting close. Uh, coming up this weekend, we're going to be in Caldwell, Texas. You know, I saw that. We're gonna we're gonna go on a, a, a kind of preserve Texas dance halls tour and play a series of these old classic uh, German dance halls. That's great. And they do. People just packing those places because they you know first of all i want to keep these rooms alive because yeah. they're historical monuments they also had a rough year where they couldn't have people in them yeah. yeah yeah so it's picking up it's picking up great and i think we pick it up and we stepped it up stepped it up uh you know the response we've gotten we've only been active here working again for two or three weeks now. yeah yeah but you know there seems to be a surge of of response and people really coming out and supporting it. So uh, doing this uh, Texas dance hall thing, and uh, of course that's where Texas music came from because they had Bray Price and Bob Wills and George Jones and Johnny Bush, Willie Nelson, you know, made a living for years just just doing the Texas dance hall tours, these old German dance halls. Yeah. in my mind, it's, it's a carrying on that tradition. It's a thrill to be able to, you know, say, well, I'm a continuation of that tradition that's been going on, you know, since the early days in Texas. Yeah. Were you, like, uh, did you end up playing, like, like do you, would you, where would you play in Houston, like Rockefellers or something like that? I did from time to time. Uh, gosh, Houston was a hard nut to crack because uh, the – uh, there was two scenes. There was a folk scene, right, club that, scene, and then there was like your giant country dance hall scenes, you know, and where all the top 40 acts were coming through and playing. Right. And I was like right there somewhere in between of those. Yeah. There was not a room. It wasn't until the Blanco's Bar and Grill, uh, this funky little room right there in River Oaks. I call it the Rope and Scope, Rope and Spoke <laughs> River Oaks. <laughs> So it was a country place and a gathering place, and and uh, Karen Barnes, who who ran this place, uh, I played a uh, a wedding, uh, kind of a pre-marriage, uh, wasn't wedding reception. Really wealthy, highly educated young people had me Gosh. in for a wedding party, and had all their friends. And had hang it. on, just one second. Sorry about that. But anyway, Karen, uh, you know, I called up Karen after I played to say, I kind of like this little room. It's, you know, it's kind of has a country tradition to it. Said, I, I think I could, I'd like to play this room. She said, oh, I can't afford you. And and I said, yes, you can. Give me the door. You take the bar. It's a deal done. 
yeah she did so i got started there and started building up a following in houston and it kind of opened the doors you know like core more followed me in there and, and all the other acts right started uh started following and it created a kind of a texas music country scene in houston and that was the the door opener for me to get into houston i worked there for years you know on a regular basis and always did well yeah and uh built up a following of great people because they were all from the neighborhood you know they were all wealthy people mostly cowboy oriented so uh you know they responded to what i was doing and and it's grown from there yeah so um so what uh, so for the rest of the 2020 you were reorganizing stuff tying up loose ends business-wise that you needed to do and obviously not playing and so what what was that like for you I know you said you didn't like taste of retirement wasn't for some people. It was good. Yeah. Uh, well, I missed the playing. I found out, you know, but, uh, I used the time as I mentioned earlier, you know, to get my business straightened up and I spent a lot of time. I'd go over almost every afternoon and spend two or three hours listening to this volume of tapes that I had, you know, right. recording them, playing along with them, playing along with the songs that I have recorded yeah. and, and learning things that, you know that or there that we'd left out you know we'd missed along the way oh yeah 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 started, started <laughs> adding on you know, so we need to we need to mind that you know that's a good lick we need yeah. to bring that into the to the thing so it, it uh it was a great opportunity for me to re-familiarize myself with my own material for one thing and um improve my piano playing guitar playing skills because i play along with it and it was just mm-hmm. like i was in a studio you know I'd right right and play along with it and like i was the lead guitar player on that track yeah yeah you can mix it to where you're at that level exactly and uh so it was it was uh it's very enlightening and educational from that standpoint to have that time to to spend with the all the material plus i've got volumes of of stuff in my publishing company that i'm dying you know i'm trying to get familiar with and learn and right. the whole transition of learning it yourself and then and then having time to get the band right worked in you know you, you maybe can run a, at a sound check you run by a song you know and backstage you run by it again you know and after two or three weeks or so you can bring it onto the set you know. how long have you been playing with your current is this a band that you were playing with before COVID? Mm-hmm. How long have you had this lineup? Well, the new uh, you know, it, it kind of changes from time to time, you know. Uh, but uh, I would say two or three years. Uh, and then probably Derek, uh, the guitar player, has been with me longer. And uh, some of them had played with me before. They came back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, finally got a drummer that was solid and... And, uh, you know, the group kind of came together, and they all have, have a great attitude about uh, sometimes it's hard to get the band focused on what you're trying to do and get them to go along with you and actually do it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but, you know, it's just all attitude, and these guys all have the greatest attitude, and they're all willing to do whatever, you know, yeah. and uh, take my guidance and direction, you know, because I've got an idea. Let's try this, you know. And we get it done before they say, "No, nah, I don't want to. Do, you know, I don't want to try something new. If you know, I want to play just the way I play." Right, right, right. Because a lot, a lot of them are like that. You know, you hire me. Uh, you know, you get what I do. Right. You know, don't don't try to teach me anything else. But 
to me, it's all a learning experience. And from every new thing, you pick up a new lick, new lick, you just add it to your repertory, and you know, it's put it in your bag of tricks. And yeah, it's a growing experience, and you gain more and more skill as time goes by. Yeah, Kimmy Rhodes and I have had that conversation a few times about how uh, you got to kind of stay interested, or you'll dull out. You know, you'll you'll become dull. You'll stop. Right. Stop growing and stop learning, stop being interested in things, you'll stop. You just kind of die off. Well, inside. You're always you know? learning or if you're, you're. Or not. Staying dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I saw from time to time you guys, like, I, I watched a bunch of stuff on Saturday night of you on, uh, on YouTube. And there was like, you know, different like radio, like stuff even like from the 70s, stuff from your uh, your Austin City Limits appearance, uh, different shows where somebody had a phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> I saw, oh, you know what I did see was really awesome was uh, you got to play the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, yes. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. That, that looked really awesome. That was, you know, it, it was like I wrote a deal. They, when you play there, they say write about your experience, you know, and they they put them up on the walls in the dressing room and things, and everybody's been there, done it. And I said it's it's with a degree of enchantment when you step inside that magic circle, you know, on yeah. the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, you know, carrying on the traditions and uh, you know country music and gospel and broken-hearted love songs and. Made the circle be unbroken, you know. Yeah. So it was it was an awesome thrill. It was just like being, you know, like the light of heaven <laughs> shining down on right, you. Right, right, right. Uh, and they have to ask you, right? You can't just be like, "Hey, can I play at the <laughs> the Grand Ole Opry?" Well, you have to be invited. Yeah, you have to be invited. But, but yeah. uh, my manager uh, he lobbied for us uh, over a period of nice. months to defoster uh, and. Over a period of time, you know, they worked out a date for us, and it worked out great. Yeah, we had about uh, how many? Uh, D, how many people from Texas came up for that show? We had nine hundred people from Texas. Wow, follow me up there for that show. So that was particularly gratifying as well to have all my friends and fans to come up there for that show. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a moving thing. Um, there's, there's a outlaw country exhibit or something there now. Yeah. It's called outlaws and armadillos. Okay. And, uh, it, it focuses on our, our, you know, from Willie Nelson and Doug Somm and Michael Martin Murphy and, and, uh, cause they, they included an exhibit. I, I had the original scribbled version of the London homesick blues that, yeah. that they have on display there, which is, well, that's kind of neat. Yeah, but it was I, things were marked out and scratched out and everything. You know, I did it in England in 1973 when I was over there with Michael. Yeah, Murphy. You were playing bass with them, right? Yeah, he invited, but the, the the Gonzo band had had split from him and gone out with Jerry Jeff after we released that um, self titled uh, Jerry Jeff Walker record uh-huh. that had L.A. Freeway on it. And right, all that and L.A. Freeway was getting a lot of attention especially in in california right so they hit the road and during that time it was just michael and i doing singer doing singer songwriter thing right you know, acoustic 
And he was releasing that uh, Cosmic Cowboy record. And Bob Johnston, well, big producer, who was his producer, he had these. They were going to release him on EMI nationwide or worldwide, really. Mm -hmm. And so they had him over there uh, uh, for some appearances. We went to Abbey Road studio and mixed down this one tune that they released as a single and put the London Philharmonic Orchestra on it. and So it was cool to hang out for an afternoon. Oh, yeah, and, man, that's and, awesome. It, it still had the old board, you know, the old four-channel yeah. thing, the big knobs <laughs> and, and all that, you know. It, it was, it was uh, there was nothing fancy about the building, you know, no. or the equipment. But uh, that was pretty, pretty cool to be them sit on the same couch that Paul McCartney and John Lennon and those guys did, you know. Hell, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting in this in this thing that we do to get to be in the like you're standing on the floor of that you were saying in the uh in the at the at the Grand Ole Opry you were standing on the on the wood beams of the of the Ryman, of the Ryman piece of the Ryman yeah. piece of the Ryman just right there Hank Williams stood there I know it McCartney sat on that couch like that's just that's some of my favorite stuff about doing this right. Well, you know, uh, I've got this song. It's called Standing on a Piece of the Ryman, which mm -hmm. is about this kid. He dreams he listens to Merle Haggard on the radio. And, and he goes, uh, standing on a piece of the Ryman, once you look at him now. And I wanted to do it so badly, you know, because it was my perfect opportunity. Perfect, yeah. And, uh, but this overwhelming uh, uh, opinion that I had to do, last thing I needed, first thing this morning. Yeah. And... Uh, Home with the Armadillo, you know, you know yeah. Homesick Blues. How did, Just had two songs, eight minutes, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you did those songs. Yes, I am too. Last thing I needed first thing this morning is such a brilliant song. And that version that you did with Kimmy is really good. Yes. Oh, yeah. wasn't that awesome? Yeah. Oh, she did a wonderful job with that. She just, from a female perspective, I think she nailed it. Yeah. It's interesting hearing that. So after I heard like a couple different versions of it, and then all of a sudden hearing it sung by a woman, you're like, oh, this is a, it's a kind of a little different song now. Right. You know what I mean? And in my mind, it was a woman's song to begin with. Right. You know, because uh, Donna Farrar, the co-writer with me, it was her idea. Oh, okay. And uh, she, she uh, we worked together to come up with that tune. So, uh, yeah, Kimmy, it, she just nailed it. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, how did you get that song? How did Chris Stapleton end up doing that song? Did he grow up with it or something? Well, uh, the first notice that we got, there was a, there was a little blurb in uh, Rolling Stone magazine, and they asked Chris Stapleton what his five favorite songs of all time were, and that was that was one of the uh, yeah one of the so. Uh, we made some overtures to try to get in touch with him, <laughs> and uh, and the next thing we know, the phone call. You know, the guys from uh, what's his record label? Uh, I don't know. But uh, anyway, they called and said, "Chris cut it. You know, it's going to come out. And we're going to do a." We went up there for the release party. You know, to uh, yeah, yeah, to share it in that RCA. Victor Studios, which is more or less a reception room as well as a and, as a uh, recording studio, right? And he uh, that record won a Grammy. 
No, no. no. Or he uh, just he, he did, he's a great. He did it, but okay. The album one, but he he uh, uh, he did tell me. He said I always thought Willie Nelson wrote that song. Yeah. So he didn't know I wrote it until they were doing the research on the publishing and the songwriting stuff. You know. So he, he embodies the spirit of the outlaw country. Yes. Cosmic cowboy guy. He does. Yeah. He he does. And, He's got a great voice. Three piece band, you know. I saw him play out at the racetrack out here. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome the sound they put out. Great singer. Great guy too. He's really nice, laid back, humble. Yeah, he you performs know. with his wife too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. She sings back up harmony. Yeah. I saw him at, at ACL at Austin City Limits Festival one year. Oh, uh huh. And I felt real bad for him because he was on the stage where like the Five o'clock sun. Oh, it's right in like, his face. Yeah. Oh boy! And it was one of those days uh, <laughs> where you could just yeah. He, you could you could tell his eyes were burning on the jumbotron because he was like, like <laughs> sweat was burning yeah. his eyes. No yeah. doubt. Right. You, you ever miss playing those outside gigs that are sweltering heat in Texas? Mm, no. <laughs> well, you know it's better when the sun's not in your face. Yeah. Are, those are pretty excruciating. Uh, you know, to uh, but you know uh, I. Uh, I actually prefer a building because you get the. Yeah. It seems like on those big stages, the sound gets by you and past you. Yeah, it just goes before, away. Before you feel it behind you or around you. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's always a thrill. And I'm, get, I'm getting better at, uh, you know, my own mind attitude and make the monitor mixes and, and all that. It's, uh, it's a lot more comfortable for me nowadays than yeah. it used to be. Yeah. Do you use in ears at all or no? I do. I just put one in and okay. I turn it up a little bit just yeah. so there's a little bit in my head <clears> and I use the other ear to hear what's happening in the room. And between the two of them, you know, I get a pretty good feedback of, of uh, you know, closeness with my voice. Yeah, a good idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So throughout the years, uh, I saw you guys in the Gonzo Band. Were you on that record that came out in 1992? There's a record on Spotify that came out in the 90s of the Lost no. Gonzo Band? Uh, well... Uh, maybe was that the Rendezvous? I don't know. I'll look it up right now. The Rendezvous record where we we did a uh, get together and we cut. Uh, you know a, that must have been it because there's there's stuff you can't find you can't find that stuff like on Spotify. No, uh, but you can find YouTube one, stuff. Yeah, the Gonzo Band. You know, stuff hasn't been exploited like it should have been. You know up there on iTunes and right. and record companies available and everything. Um, right. So uh, somebody else, uh, MCA and Capital own those, right? Still? Right. Yes. Huh. That's weird. It, uh, but, uh, somehow. Some, Why don't those guys just give us our stuff back? You know what I mean? Like, I it, like It's they been 20 years since I left this one label. It's like, just give me the record. Like, you're not doing anything with it. Right. But, you know, the contracts are what they are. You know, they could be enforced if, yeah. if somebody, because nobody there was probably even born, you know, when we were doing that stuff. So That's true. So <laughs> you they, think they about would it, never yeah. know on their own, you know. They would, but uh, there is one record, it's kind of an outlaw record. We, ne- we never got permission, gave permission or never received a penny in royalties. Uh, somebody took a compilation Put together about twenty songs, and uh, of a 
compilation. I, I don't think it included anything on off of the uh, Capitol record that we did. Okay. Just the first two records. It was a 20-song set. And that's the only thing is it's digital out there. It's not out there. You know? Right. It's, uh, uh, it's just... It's over in England somewhere. Yeah. Whoever did it, we got a couple of copies of it. Ah. I, uh, I've, I've seen some stuff with you and, and Bob playing, and then there's stuff like throughout the years, the 80s and 90s, where occasional video of Jerry Jeff doing something to you there oh, uh-huh. with him and stuff. Right. Um, uh, we just lost Jerry Jeff, and I'm sorry about that. I know that, you know. Terrible loss. Terrible loss, losing a longtime friend like that. Um. It's is there uh do you guys do you guys still get together like is there still like like a, a lost gonzo like hang every once in a while well uh very difficult uh of course you know John has his studio thing he's working full time plus he does a lot of a lot of road road work as well backing mm-hmm. up uh, people who give him a call Bob Bob is uh, on the road constantly driving. Yeah. You know, he's doing his singer-songwriter show things, and he travels extensively. And, of course, I have my schedule. It's really tough to coordinate a schedule, you know. So, yeah. And we're so separated yeah. by miles. You know, it'd take a whole day just to get together. And We're actually going, going to get together this afternoon. Well, and, good. And uh, talk about... Uh, getting together and doing some more projects. That's great, man. Was it was it the loss of Jerry Jeff that kind of inspired, like, hey, you know what, maybe we should get together and do that stuff that was soulful? Well, uh... Not that what you I, do now isn't, but I'm saying, like, there's some things that you're like, I want to hang out with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's just, of course, you know, we did a lot of great material, and then we played on... All of that early stuff, yeah. You know, the first four or five records that Jerry did, and the first two that Michael did, right. So I mean, those songs are like a part of our DNA. Yeah, we know them like a the back of our hands. Yeah, and and so and they were they were such an important part of our growth and development. And those guys were mentors to us because they were they had music experience and record making and songwriting things. Uh, behind them you know where yeah. we'd, we'd mostly just been local texas you know playing the frat houses and and, yeah. uh, and the bars around town and hadn't been out with a record deal and, and getting record airplay and all that so it was uh it was a wonderful uh learning experience i i took it as that and i had a lot of uh because i'd been playing by that time i already had about 10 years of uh, because I started in eighth grade, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and then we're talking, you know, from 14 to 24, 25, when uh, we got started with those guys. Yeah. So I had a lot of band, all my stuff was band stuff, and right. so, I, and I'd put together all these different bands, so I kind of had that band leader mentality, and I was right. a bass player, so, you know, like, start with the bass and the drums and go from there. So, right. So the foundation always looked at it that way so we each had uh, our our things that we contributed and 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 brought to it it made it a, a magical uh, group of people that's best talented you know most talented guys i've ever worked with yeah yeah and also it's cool to have that brotherhood like that years of you know looking across the stage and looking at someone you're like oh yeah i remember when we were kids right <laughs> you know yeah. 
Remember that time I had to pick you up at that weird, sketchy place because <laughs> something went wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just an amazing sort of thing. I have that with some people. Right. It's well, nice bands, you know, bands, are especially people, they're all creative people in their own right. You know, yeah. uh, you know it's, it's hard to, to keep a group of people like them together because eventually, you know, they get married, have wives, have yeah. different influences in their yeah. lives, want to do other things, yeah. have different ideas. And it's just hard to keep that, you know, like uh, John Lennon, you know, always said when the Beatles broke up, you know, that uh, those wedding bells broke up that old gang of mine. Yeah. You know, yeah. so life goes on. Yeah. Nothing, nothing ever stays the same. That's true. That's true. Well, um, Gary, it has been really such a pleasure talking to you. And, and thank you so much for coming here and doing this. And thank you, Dee, for staying on it. Um, but also, man, thank you for for your contribution to you know, my life, listening to that music and, and just remembering that, you know, at one point my mom was like, you know, oh, you, you got to see this guy. We, when we went to the Wanty Brothers Cafe and I saw that guy that I'd just seen on Austin City Limits with Lisa Gilkison and I was just like, oh my God, like this is so awesome. Oh. And now you're here in my house. Well, that's wonderful. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. And I know that you're doing some great work here with your podcast and, yeah. and uh, been very successful with it. And I'm, Delighted and honored to have you have me on today. Yeah, man. Well, thank you, Gary. Thank you. All right. I want to go home with the armadillo. Good country music from Amarillo and All right, that's Gary P. Nunn. What a great conversation, you guys. Fantastic. I want to thank him for coming by. It was great getting to sit down and talk to such a great and accomplished legend. What a great, great artist he is. Great conversation, too. Also, his look, man. We, I touched on his look, man. It's super defined. <laughs> Find him at GaryPNunn.com. He's playing tonight, Friday, July 9th at Green Hall in New Braunfels. Tomorrow night, Saturday, July 10th at Cat Springs Dance Hall in Cat Springs, Texas. If you want to find out more about when he's playing, go to GaryPNunn.com. Great talking to him. I want to thank his manager, D, for bringing him by again. Great talking to him, all right? All right, gang, I hope you have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Enjoy it. It's summertime. Get into it. Maybe go see Gary P. Nunn if you can. Let's hear the rest of this legend song, uh, London Homesick Blues. Yeah, baby. Gary P. Nunn. Have a great weekend. Let's get down. it's cold over here. And I swear, I wish they'd turn the heat on And where in the world is that English girl I promised I would meet on the third floor And of the whole damn lot, the only friend I got is a smoke and a cheap guitar My mind keeps roaming My heart keeps longing To be home in a Texas bar I wanna go home with the armadillo
decided that I'd get my cowboy hat Go down to Marble Art Station Cause when a Texan fancies he'll take his chances Chances will be taken, that's for sure And them limey eyes, they were eyeing a prize Some people call manly footwear And they said you're from down south And when you open your mouth You always seem to put your foot there Maybe it feels that so was good. Gary P. Nunn.